My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. We're in Philippians chapter 1 today, and uh, I'll I'll tell you... um, so Dave Barber runs our PowerPoint uh, each week. So thank you, Dave. Appreciate that. And uh, I send Dave the PowerPoint. If I'm crazy ahead, it's like Sunday. If I'm not, it's like Saturday. Um, and they seem like they're one day apart, but they're not. And uh, I sent him the PowerPoint yesterday. And I got an email back this morning. He said, I love your optimism. Um, so th- this is <laughs> this is very likely enough content for at least two weeks and probably three so we'll go like we do each week until we finish and then we'll pick up next week lord willing and go from there so um so we're in uh philippians 1 today we're going to start with verse 9 uh, but let me first uh, before we begin uh, with the teaching portion let's read the text so again as as always um, feel free to just listen or feel free to read along but uh, philippians chapter 1 Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. 
I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Philippians chapter 1. All right, so in your green books, let's actually start on page 8. Actually, page 7. Start on page 7. We'll back up just a bit. I would have made a lousy magician. We'll start with that as an intro. Sean's like, where are we going with this? Um, I like to explain what I am doing and where I get what I am getting and giving. So at the bottom of page seven starts the list of commentaries and resource helps that I'm using personally as we go through this series in Philippians. So there's two at the bottom of page seven, uh, and then there's seven more at the top of page eight. Uh, I've added one to that list. I haven't used it yet, but I've added one. Actually, I've used it twice already, and I'm using it today, so rumen. Um, but this is where these quotes are coming from. So I will read ahead in these commentaries, try to glean what I think is helpful. Uh, Chandelier and Jen Campbell, thank you very much, have a podcast. Do you know they have a podcast? It's hilarious. It's a hilarious podcast. Because when you know people, you kind of know what they're thinking and how they're coming at something and whatnot. And uh, last season, they did an episode, and they used this phrase that I don't know that I'd heard before, but it was chew and spit. That was really good. So when you engage with a resource that's talking to you about the Bible, chew and chew and chew, when you get to a bone, you get to something fatty, when you get to something that's awful, just spit it out and move on. So I will tell you, there is a tremendous amount that I look at and I go, uh, that's a whole lot of guessing. We're just going to spit that out and move along. Uh, but there are some really brilliant nuggets. Um, the average length of time that most of these people spent writing their book on Philippians is around eight to ten years. Like this is their primary academic focus. So most of them will get three, four, maybe five books in a lifetime. And that's their life spent in pursuit of the gospel. Um, so, so when I stand up here as somebody who is uh, shockingly ill-educated compared to these guys, uh, and say, I spit a lot out of their work, it's, it's just like really insulting. But at the same time, a big chunk of it, I just don't understand. They're into the nuance of different things, and I don't get it, and that's fine. Uh, but I did want you guys to be aware of where this stuff is coming from. So if you go, let's go back to page uh, 41. I think that's where we're starting today. Um, sometimes they'll have these summary quotes that really kind of encapsulate uh, either an entire pericope, like a uh, Thanksgiving and prayer, 
or a couple of verses, a paragraph. And I've got three of those to start the lesson today. So the first is from Hanson. And you've heard me kind of get close to this quote before, but I just want to explicitly state it. So like a steady drumbeat, the steady repetition of all keeps reminding the reader that his love is not selective. He embraces all. So this is the Lord that he's talking about through working through Paul. Uh, and I want you to make sure that you don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying he embraces all behaviors from all people at all times. Like, no, 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 no. In the church, he embraces all that are in the church. So I want to make sure I, like, this is one of those examples where all doesn't exactly mean all. <laughs> it means all in a predefined group. So that's one. The second is from Hanson. It's a couple pages later. Uh, human, human love cannot be so consistently inclusive. Has anybody ever struggled with this? Like being consistently inclusive. Like you see somebody, you, they have testified, they have professed that they are a believer, and you're like, yeah, I don't like you. Um, so, and Paul presses hard up against this concept in the first couple of uh, verses in Philippians. So human love cannot be so consistently inclusive. Some are always excluded. Divine love embraces all and brings all inside. This, I love this little quote. Divine love make, makes outsiders insiders. Is that great? We just, oh, yes, this is good. And then the last one before we kind of dig into verse 9, uh, it says Hellerman. Uh, again, my favorite uh, wardrobe. Uh, strikingly, Paul prays for the Philippians, not for his own difficult situation. So as we go through this, just I'm going to try to drip this in every few weeks. Paul's in chains while he's writing this, right? Um, this is one of the dangers, like this right here is one of the dangers for the approach that we take in our Sunday school because we go very, very in-depth and you, you have to change the focal length of the lens and zoom back out periodically. Otherwise, we can get lost in the verbs. So with that, let's go to page 41 in your green books, and we will uh, start rolling through. So we're going to start with verse 9 today. Verse 9 says, uh, and I pray. So who's the I here? Paul. So Paul is praying. Who's he praying for? He's praying for the Philippians, Yes. So this word pray is Paul's most common word for prayer. Um, it, it's kind of a, a Swiss army knife of prayer. Uh, it, it means a, a whole lot of different things. It can cover a whole lot of different areas. Um, it, it's the most generic word for prayer in the New Testament. Um, but I do want you to be aware of that prayers in the Roman world were cons and I struggle with how to explicitly articulate this, but they were geographically centered. So look at this next quote from uh, Keon. Uh, prayer was vital in the Roman world with people traveling across land and sea to bring prayers to their gods. So it wasn't as if you could be separate from where your God physically was and pray to, you had to travel to that place. What's that? Why? Wow, yes, wow, yes, yes. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, how complicated is that? <clears throat> is there anything like this in the history of Christianity? Yeah, it was a tabernacle and the temple, and, right? I mean, it's it like, there's shadows and hints of this throughout. Could God's people always talk to God? Yeah, mostly-ish. Depending on how you define talk, right? There's always access. But 
Did that pretty radically change after Jesus ascended and at Pentecost and we have the spirit inside. So now we have communion consistently. You're just like, this is mind boggling. Yes. So Paul is demonstrating something to the Philippians by being in a different physical location and praying for them that smacks hard up against the culture, the religious culture that they know. So we just read past like, I pray this. Like, well, of course he does. It's fine. And that's actually a big push against the Philippian religious culture at this time because they would have had to go, you want to worship the emperor? Well, then you need to have somebody that's either representative of the emperor that you give uh, homage to that's in front of you or you have to go physically travel to somebody. Um, So there's that. All right. Thank you, Dave. Uh, So verse 9, and I pray this. This word has beaten me up this week. You ever told somebody, yeah, I'll pray for you? You ever said that? Anybody ever forgotten to pray for somebody when you tell them to pray for them? Yes. Um, This is as opposite as you can get from I will generically pray. So Paul, it's it's a beautiful juxtaposition of words here. So he uses the most generic word for pray and then a demonstrative pronoun. There's something very specific I'm going to pray. I have been praying for you about. Right. So um, our application at the bottom, uh, Christians pray specifically. Christians pray specifically. So today is what day? 9-11. Um, it's a somber day in a lot of ways in our country. Uh, I remember the funerals a few days in the weeks after the, when the towers came down. And I remember watching some, and I saw something that I'd never seen before. There'd be a priest, and there would be many people in his parish that had uh, perished. And uh, they would read a name, and for him we pray. And they'd read a name, and for her we pray. And they'd read a name, for him we pray. And I thought, well, two challenges. One, like it's a bit late for the prayer for somebody who's passed on. But two, what are you praying? I didn't, like, I didn't understand like, what, like, what specifically we're praying for. And this word, this, presses hard against that. It is not a generic, I'll pray for, like, no, you actually have to pray for something specifically. And the great thing is, when we don't know what to pray for specifically, what happens? The Holy Spirit, right, helps. So Paul gives us a beautiful example of Christians pray specifically. So what do we do with that? We pray specifically for other Christians, right? So here we go. We're going to get into the what. All right. So I pray this. Yes, ma'am. You said pray specifically for other Christians? Yes. 
That's what Paul's doing here. I struggle with my answer that I just gave you, Miss Sherry, because one of the things that I'm trying to do with the applications and the personalizations is keep them deeply rooted into the specific example or context of the text we're talking about. Is there a larger command for Christians to pray for all? Absolutely. Is that what Paul is talking about here? Not, no, it's not, right? So I'm gonna to try, to, to try to get as tight into the, the thing that Paul is doing or commanding as possible without overexerting the, the focal length, but I don't wanna zoom out too much either. But yes, we are in fact called to pray for all. And I love that, you're, that you went, uh, that seems too restrictive. Yay, that's good, right? That's good. All right, so here's what he says. I pray this, that your, don't skip the your. Is that singular? Is that plural? What is that? That's a plural your, right? That your, your group, love, top of page 42. Your group love. So this is the first time agape shows up in Philippians. <clears throat> We've beat this word to death uh, in Christianity today. Uh, it just means love. <laughs> it's not always and exclusively used of God to humans. It's used by humans for humans, uh, as Paul uses it here, that your love uh, will keep on. And this is actually not what the Greek words say, but it's a really slick way of translating it. So this is one of those scenarios where I would go, that's pretty good for our culture right now. The Greek is mayon kai mayon. This is more and more. It's actually a double use of the word more here. Um, that your love yet more and more grows or will grow. Uh, and I like the keep on. It's a really good translation. So this word for growing at the bottom of page 42 uh, Perisueo, this is a present active subjunctive. So present active is something that the, the subject is doing continuously, and the subjunctive is something that can be a possibility of something. So it's something that can be done that the subject is actively working toward doing. So this is, it's going to continue to be a possibility. So Paul is praying, I, I pray that your love will keep on growing and that will be keep on growing into a possibility of actually occurring. <clears throat> so what does that say about the state of our love? Is the state, if, if you graft a Christian, so, sorry, math guy, if you graft a Christian's love, what should it be happening to that? It should be like, should be going up, right? Yeah, it should be going up over time. This should grow. So here's our application. Christian's love should grow. And there's an apostrophe at the, after the S here. So, plural possessive, folks. Christian's love should grow. So what do we do with that? Pray for love to grow. And I have a note in my notes here. Uh, confession, this is not a normal part of my prayer for you. I pray for our members every single day by name, and uh, I now have a great example of something new to add to that list. Uh, but just curious, is anybody in the habit of praying for somebody that they know is a believer for their love to grow? 
Is that like something that's part of your... I actually don't know that I've ever even heard anybody do this before. It, it was a like, oh, we can pray that. That's fantastic. That's really, really great. Yeah, so pray for love to grow. This is good. <clears throat> is this just generic love? Like just bland, generic love, everybody. How do we know it's not just bland, generic love? Because there's a page 43, right? <laughs> Growing in knowledge. Growing in knowledge. This word for knowledge is uh, epinosis. This is... Uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a, a minute here comparing and contrasting the epinosis and uh, aesthesis, the Greek word for uh, discernment here in just a second. But please understand that, that there's a lot of debate and discussion around what comes first here. And I will tell you, I think both uh, academically, educationally, and theologically that Jen Wilkin has it right. Um, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. She does little drops like this all the way through into the word. It's just a fantastic book. Um, she might be my favorite living theologian. <laughs> that will keep some of you up tonight. It's okay. All right. Uh, so I pray that your love will keep on growing in knowledge. So that love is going to grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. And this discernment is perception. Um, it's actually the only time this word is used in the New Testament. Now, when we get to a word like that, we got to be real careful about how hard and how much theology we hang on that because it is something squeaking. You don't hear that? You, who, okay, couple. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not going crazy. All right, great. Um, like I, I, I don't know why I'm just nervous about having a stroke and not knowing it, and I don't know if that's part of having a stroke or not. But it's, I'm not having one, so that's awesome because everybody else is experiencing it too. So that's good. And Dave, you should get your ears checked, because I think everybody around you can hear it. So. Um, sounds like an electronic bird. Like, y'all don't get it? Okay, all right, cool, good. For those of you online, thanks for being online. Glad y'all can experience that, so it's great. Um, so in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So when you have a word that's only used a, a small number of times in the New Testament, we want to be real careful how hard we lean into and how much weight we put on it. This is when resources like uh, BDAG, uh, Bauer Danker, two words I can't pronounce, um, who go and they've, they've looked at every word in the New Testament and how it was used in literature around the time of the New Testament. And they come back with examples of way this, you're like, if you thought Bible study was hard, let's do Bible study against every word that's in any language, that, in any book, that resource that we can find. It's like just, when I first realized what this book was doing, my head exploded, and I was hesitant to even open it up. because like, these guys are just, this is just a whole different level. Um, and you know what they came back with? It means perception and discernment. Um, Imagine that. Uh, score one again for really good English translations of the Bible. Uh, I will give you 
I will give you one way to think, this is not the only way to think about these two words. So in knowledge, if we think about how do I apply knowledge toward right living, okay. Um, this is, it's good. You ready? Thumbs up is good. Thumbs up is it's bad. Uh, porn. You're like, I feel like we all, like we all good? Yeah. Did that require any level of, dis like, no, that's no, dis this is just, we know this to be bad. Great. Uh, praying specifically to God about other believers. Like, yeah, cool. All right, good. All right. That's the knowledge. Like, just think about knowledge as like, I know it's right, it's wrong, it's really clear. There we go. The discernment piece is, uh, should Paul and Barnabas stay together when they go on this missionary journey? Or should they split up? Or, like, what, what would be the better option? You're like, whoa, okay, this is tricky. You see the difference? Like, one, one is, all right, <laughs> We should be learning more and growing in love more in our knowledge. We should also be growing in love in our discernment. You think, well, well, what does that look like? All right, this is probably my favorite quote of everything I have read so far in all these resources. Here we go, Dave. Paul does not encourage sloppy agape. Come on. Like, that's just funny, guys. That's just funny. And like this guy wrote it, right? So I mean, you know he had to be chuckling. It is not sentimental, it's not undisciplined. Maturity in Christ means love grows in perception and discernment. So remember that, that graph about our love? Our love is growing in what we know is right and wrong, and what we perceive, how we engage, and how we discern how to apply and engage in love with the things around us. Would that be helpful in a community like Philippi, where you are hard-pressed on every side with an oppressive Roman rule? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so application here. Christians, again, S apostrophe. Christians' knowledge and discernment should grow. Christians' knowledge and discernment should grow. So what do we do? Pray for knowledge and discernment to grow. Now, is there a period at the end of verse 9? Nope, there's not. There's a what? A comma. <laughs> it's because Paul's writing. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I've read more than one thing that said, like, verses 3 through 11 was just one sentence, which I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's just, he would not have passed uh, English with my English teachers in high school. So there's that. So verse 10, so that, Hina, so that. So all the stuff that we talked about so far in the verse 9, he's praying that your love will keep on growing and knowledge and every kind of discernment. There is a purpose to this. It is not just for the sake of being wiser or smarter or more discerning. No, no, no. It has a purpose so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. <clears throat> 
So the bottom of page 44, there is a purpose to growth. Application. There is a purpose to growth. We'll come back to the personalization here in just a second. Let's look at this quote from Martin real quick. So the verb, the kids of mine, uh, he's actually passed on. Um, it's weird. The, the guys that have died, the only pictures I could find are black and white. So it's like an IMDB kind of thing. So it's weird. Uh, so the verb, the kids of mine, discern means to put to the test. And then as a result of such examination, to accept as tested or to approve. Let's go to the next one. Uh, it's often used to denote the testing of coins. The coins which are approved are genuine currency. Anything you read this week about currency or last week? What have you read about currency this last week? The Canadian's currency might change. Who else's currency is probably going to change? American currency is going to change because the Queen died? Oh, moving to it. Yeah, very possibly so. I was thinking about like the... British had like the queen stamped on everything and now they got to stamp somebody else on everything and that seems like very expensive. Um, but there were, there were uh, one of the ways that you could sort of kind of maybe get to telling that something was legit was that you would either weigh it or you would inspect it and if it had the stamp of the right emperor on the top of the coin, hey, this is past inspection. So this is what this word approve means. So that you may, this again, you is plural there on page 43, that you may approve the things that are superior, the diaphrero. Now look at this word in the middle of page 44, uh, diaphrero. Uh, it's actually, it's a, it's a compound word, dia, dia, which means through, pharaoh, which means to bear or to carry. <clears throat> it's things that... Um, things that are, that can be carried through, things that will survive, things that will last, things that will endure. And one of the ways to think about this is that differs from things that will not endure. So do you, does anybody own anything that you think in a hundred years, if the Lord doesn't come back, like this thing will still be around and it will still work this way? Yeah. What do you think you own, Dave? Tools. You got some tools that are very old, right? Yes. Yes. And they, they worked then and they work now. And you, you're thinking, if I take care of these, they're probably going to hang around. They're going to be okay, right? Yep. Yeah. Anybody have any books? Books will hang around. Yeah. I mean, as long as you don't like get them wet, right, Zeke? Yeah. I mean, there's that. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> sorry. That was. I, it, it may preserve it somehow. I don't know. Like a heck, heck if I know. Um, but. That you may approve, that you may look at something and inspect it and examine it and see that this is going to carry through. This is going to be different from the things around it. This is going to have substance. This is going to have value. And this word superior is a verb. It's a present active part of participle. So this is, like, this is a habit of carrying through. This is not a like, oh, I think, I think on this, in this one little thing, this, no, 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 no. Like this is good. And it's habitually good. It's been habitually good. It is right now. It's very likely going to be. These are things that endure, things that last. Would it be helpful for Christians to approve things that are better, things that are going to last, things that are different from the rest of the world? Yes. Do you see how this is just a slightest bit of a hat tip toward our God is better? 
Our God is different. Our God will endure. He's drawing them upward to things that are different than... Because, like, is, is, how's the Roman army doing now? The Roman Empire, is it doing okay? Everything great? Going strong? Everybody going well? It's on a comeback. It might be, yes. Uh, it's a rebuilding year, yeah. It's like Vanderbilt football, that's right. Um, again, Vanderbilt football, there you go. Um, no, this is the things that may, uh, that may approve, the things that are superior. Uh, Ruben's got another really nice little quote here. He says, such discerning, discriminating love holds in every situation. And it just, like, this is tough. Because right? how often do we just, I just go through my day, I go through my life, I go through my experiences, and I don't have my discerning hat on, I don't have my knowledge hat on, I don't have my, hey, let's compare this with Scripture and see what is best. I just go, especially where rules or knowledge or spiritual gifts do not fit or suffice. Let's keep going. Where there is not full insight amidst life's ambiguities, love decides perceptively and discerningly. Like what, what kind of world would that be? Right? It's like, you know what? I'm not a thousand percent sure what the best right thing to do here is, so let's love. It's like, wow. Because remember, the love is growing in knowledge and discernment. So he started with that so that we can approve the things that are superior. And we'll end on this next phrase. Uh, and be, and may be pure and blameless. Did I give you the application and the personalization on this yet? I gave you the application, not the personalization, right? Okay. The personalization is thank God for his purposes. Thank God for his purposes. He doesn't give us his spirit for us to stay the same. He doesn't give us his spirit for us to stay static. The reality that God has given us his spirit gives our lives purpose and meaning, right? So that we may approve the things that are superior and may be. There's a subjunctive for you. Like, I think you can do it. <laughs> I think you can do it. I, uh, I actually believe, and I want to do this one day, I want to find all the subjunctives and I want to find all the optatives and I want to find all these different verb tenses and I want to find a way to overlay that on the English version of the Bible so that I can read it with the right tone. So that you may be pure and blameless, right? Because it's not a confidence so that you may be... No, 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 no. This is subjunctive. It's a hope here. It's a wish here. So that you may be pure. Uh, one way to translate this word is judged by sunlight. Judged by sunlight. Because, right, I mean, there... If Paul's in a room in the inside of a house and he needed light, what does he do? If you're in the middle, in, the, in a room inside a house and you need light, what do you do at this time? You light a candle, right? Because you cannot walk over to the light switch because there ain't been a light switch invented yet. Right? That's a few hundred years later. Um, so this is judged by sunlight. So you either, if you're inside, you do this. If you want to see really clearly, you take it outside and you let it be judged by sunlight. So that it may be pure, this is something that has been tested by sunlight and found to be pure, 
and blameless. And the word blameless here is inoffensive or faultless. Um, Blameless in the New Testament is usually, not always, but usually, I'm sorry, not in the New Testament, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is usually horizontal-based. It is usually a, like, can I stand before you and stand blameless before you? Not before God, like this, like, guilty, sinner, not good. But before you, can I be blameless? So the, the pure and blameless is a before the Romans that you are engaged with. You have been put into this environment. So we want you to grow, in, that your love may grow in knowledge and discernment so that you can approve the things that are superior, so that you can identify these things will last. These things are substantive, substantial in the middle of this environment where you will need to be pure and blameless. This all works together. Like, the complexity of this thought alone is mind-boggling to me. There's so much stuff here. All right, so I've got 944. I need to stop. So we'll pick up, Lord willing, next week after blameless. Cool. All right, that makes sense? You with me so far? Dave, that was way farther than I thought I'd get today. So there we go. You guys listened well. It was good. It was so fast. (laughs) Zeke, there's a lot of things I'm going to be guilty of in life, and that is, well, except on the interstate, but um, that's about it. All right, so you should, don't amen that. (laughs) All right, you should should have a weekly update at your table, so please, if you would, make sure your names are at the bottom. My attendance taker is back today. Woo! Praise the Lord. Um... And, uh, and you got prayer requests on the other side, so uh, prayer of those prayer requests. Pick a section or two. Uh, after you have prayed, you are free to go and to worship the one who, when he is judged, <laughs> is found to be superior. Is found to be pure and blameless in the sight of man and in the sight of God. We will end on that today. So there you go. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.